consistency, about that consistency is that on Sky Game, you've got nine cameras. On a non-Sky Game, you've got two. You've got a close and a, and a wide. So so if somebody it's somebody in that corner on Sky, the high behind and the corner camera will pick it up. But if you hit somebody in that corner on a non-Sky Game, it's missed. So you don't know where point of contact is. So even though each game is being reviewed, it's still not being reviewed consistently because there's not nine cameras uh, every game. Dave and Keith talk all things rugby league on the Dockhouse Rugby Pod. Welcome to the Dockhouse Rugby Show. Dave and myself are joined once again by our resident referee. Uh, it's former Super League referee and ambassador for the State of Mind charity. It's Mr. Ian Smith. Ian, Welcome once again to the yeah. show. Good evening, guys. Hope you're well. If it's the audio podcast, we had Buddy with us on the last one. Buddy is Dave's dog. So if we mention Buddy and he comes into the conversation again, it's Dave's dog entering, well, entering been, the studio here. He's a big fan of the show, but yeah, he listens back to them, so he wants to get in on it. So is, he's is, got is, his little limelight, so hopefully he won't return. He's the only person that listens to you, Dave. <laughs> That's true. That's me one listener. That's my follower. It's your follower. Brilliant. So, Ian, uh, we're going to jump straight into it. There's been lots of hype, lots of topic, lots of talks. Twitter's been on fire. Social media has been set ablaze. And we're at the end of the season now, so we can. Have, I want to have a, a little reflect back on some of the things and how you think, as a former referee, how some of those instances have played out, the current state of rugby league and and the super league and through the championship etc but uh, we've also put some questions out to our followers on on our social media and they've kindly responded with some questions for you as well Ian so hard hat on <laughs> though you're not a referee anymore now what we love is you have that opinion you are, you are, you know the other side of the line that as a fan we're all there's a bias whether you agree or disagree there's an element of bias as a fan isn't there you're on the other side of that you're you're the flip side you've been that pantomime villain you've been booed and chased off the field but um yeah let's get straight into it dave um do you want to start with yeah yeah and uh, welcome in um there's been so much so much talk well throughout the full season there was so much talk about referees and the match review panel it seems to make sense to wait until the end of the season to discuss some of those topics. So if we take ourselves right back to the start of the season, what we saw is a very strict approach from the referees on things like high tackles, certainly anything around the head that could be dangerous. And large bands being handed out, which caused lots of frustrations to fans and many journalists as well were not happy with the way of that approach. And some of the coaches hinting towards the fact that they felt their players were harshly done to in the games and certainly by the bands. So can you recall why there was quite a strict approach to some of these things right back at the start of this season? Oh, look, I, I think they want to make the game safer for the player short, medium, long term when it comes to brain injuries and head injuries. And, and I, I get that, absolutely get that. Uh, so what, what they wanted to do was make sure that encourage a player to tackle from the shoulder down. And the only way you can encourage that is to penalise the high tackles. So it was a case of we will force players to tackle from the shoulder down by giving large bands where there's foul play and there's contact with the head, either direct, secondary, 
or where there's flexion of the neck where a player is pushed from behind and there's that whiplash type uh, incident. So the referees were informed and told that, look, you must simbin and send players off where there is contact with the head, regardless of force. And the match review panel backed up all that by giving out some very long uh, bans for that type of uh, foul play. Uh, and I think it, look, it's it's a brutal sport. And I think sometimes players do time it wrong and they're more careless and reckless. And I think some of the challenges were, were being severely punished where there was no risk to head injuries. And I, I'm not quite sure whether early doors, they quite got the balance right. And because players were missing so many games, the, the game was in uproar. So after what was it, round six or seven, they, they, they almost changed overnight where the match review panel backed off, the referees were told to back off and things that were being sent off and two and three matches right at the beginning were getting one and two and, and all the simbin. So that caused a lot of confusion, if I'm being honest. It caused a lot of inconsistency. It caused a lot of aggro towards the referee because then, hang on a minute, week one, two and three, that was a send-off. Now it isn't. Yeah. I know, but the referees were told that that wasn't. You know, so don't blame the referee for following instructions and following what they're told to do from their bosses, the, the big bosses and the match review panel. So I felt at times the referees were, were thrown on the bus a little bit. Yeah, certainly it was... Uh... It was done with good intent, I would say. It's there to protect players and some of the long-term health concerns we have over some of the players who played uh, decades before are quite worrying them and we need to figure out a way of trying to keep the sport safe whilst not taking away from it that side that makes it so interesting and engaging to watch. And that's really difficult to do that. We're trying to do it through strict penalties through the referee and MRP, but it's it's been uh, difficult to get right that balance as you say in um, and following those changes do you feel as though things got better eventually did you feel as though it settled down after a few weeks uh, yeah to a certain degree um, I, I still think that there are other ways that you can educate players and I, th- I still think that some of the the bands were were slightly over the top uh, I'm, I'm glad that they did back off a, a a little bit, but there were some tackles that I felt weren't weren't, weren't bans. Um, I can't remember any specifics, but I still think that I wasn't sure with respect to the match review panel, and it's an incredibly difficult job to do. I didn't think they, they quite got the balance right over the course of the whole year. I wouldn't like to be on the match review panel. I have absolute sympathy for him because the, you, you want to make the, the game safe for the players. Absolute paramount. 100% agree, but it can't lose its toughness and its brutality and its combativeness because that's what gets the fans there, you know, and we want to bring back the Biff, but not to, not to the detriment of risking players get head injuries and long-term memory loss and all that lot. So it's a really difficult juggling act and only time will tell whether what they've done, how hard they've gone in is right. But what we don't want is, is for players to have head injuries to say, you know something? no, we backed off wrong and it's it's a really difficult one for the referees and for the match review panel and for the game as a whole. Yeah, I guess there's a risk with anything, particularly with a brutal sport such as rugby league, even playing it and eliminating as much as you can, it'll still carry some risk. It's But where is it an acceptable risk? And that's not a very clear line. It's not an easy one to find. And I suspect we're in a, 
a process of trying for trying to figure that out at the moment and we're going to be we're not going to always get it right whilst we try and get there but i'd say we've just got to be patient with the players the the matches the the, the refs and the mrp whilst we all try and figure it out we're all pulling in the same direction we all want it brutal tough engaging but safe so yeah let's um Let's keep an eye on that. Uh, one of the other things that has come up, Ian, and uh, has been on my mind quite a few times throughout the year, and uh, if you can describe to us how the reviewer will look at the game afterwards, because there's one criticism that we're not consistent, and then there's other criticisms that, well, the ref missed it, it went on, no one's hurt, why, is it, why has it been brought up? No one's seen anything. And the next thing I read in the paper, somebody's been given a two-game ban, but I don't even remember what it was for. How's that happened? So can you describe how that works after a game, please? Yeah, yeah I think there's a misconception here that the referees and the match review panel are intrinsically linked like that, but they're not. The referee will referee the game as he sees it uh, and, and he will have a reviewer and the referee and the, the, the ref's coach will watch the game and they will give a score, they'll get points and they'll, they'll look at different aspects of the game. Uh and sometimes the game is so fast and moving, you just miss things. So, so that is a referee, and that's for the referee and the referee's coach to try to work out how best to referee that game. The match review panel are totally separate. They will watch all six games, uh, and they will watch every tackle, every bit of foul play. They'll rewind it, they'll pause it, they'll go forward, and they will see all the different contacts all the way through the game. Then the match review panel will meet on a Monday, and all the, the bits of foul play that they bring from each game, they will discuss as a group of three or four. And then that's where they do the gradings. But they don't take in the referee's report. They don't take anything to do with what the referee has made on that game. And to be fair, there's times where, oh my God, what happened there? I'm, I might put that on report. Or if it's a non-tele game, so I don't get the video ref's input, you know, at, at speed when it's over there. And did it hit his shoulder and come up? Or was it direct contact? So if it's direct contact, is it red? If it's glanced off the shoulder, is it yellow? And there's so many different things. So the match review panel take all the emotion and all the variables from the referee that might not be able to see. So I, I, I totally get where the, where, why they have to be separated. I don't understand sometimes why they don't take the referee's report because he's got his eyes on the ground and he may have a clear view of it. So, but but the door, the match review panel will just do what they see, uh, and regardless of what the referee gave, which I'm not too sure. I, I do also think there should be a referee on the match review panel, by the way. And that's not me putting myself forward because <laughs> I don't want it for a gold clock. But I, I do think because it's all players and coach centric, they all are seeing it from that side. And I think it's really important that the referee's opinion on why he, he, I know in retrospective, why they would give that from the view. I was I was on an international match review panel the other, the, uh, either last year or the year before, I can't remember. And the referee put a player in a sim bin for uh, a late contact and they give him a two game ban. It was a Jamaican player and they appealed and I was on the appeal and they said, but the, the referee has put him in the sim bin because of the dangerous late contact. I said, well, actually, he hasn't. The referee put him in the simbin because the tackle before, there was a warning that the next penalty, the player would go in the simbin. So that player went in the simbin for persistent infringement, not because of that challenge. So I just think if you're not careful, you, you, you all are getting one side. And believe it or not, referees 
are very well versed and very well educated in collision just because we might not have made any of these tackles. But as a ref's coach, I would watch 10 games a week, 600 collisions a, uh, a game. I would watch 6,000 collisions and 6,000 play the balls a week. Over a 30-week season, I'd, I'd watch 180,000 collisions. So I can tell you, I know exactly what a player should and shouldn't do in contact and getting away from the tackle. And just because I've not done that as a player, doesn't mean to say I don't understand the idiosyncrasies of what has to be done from the ball carrier and the defender. And I just think that a referee's view, as well as the, the uh, ex-players and ex-coaches' view on the match view panel, would would be better. Like I say, I'm definitely not volunteering for that. Because <laughs> we'll, we'll I, I you don't envy him whatsoever. And one of the problems with that system is there could be a late tackle, late hit, something worthy of a ban. It's only picked up afterwards. So the team that late tackle or high tackle was against doesn't get the benefit. It's a different team the week after and week after that who get the benefit. Is there any way around that? Uh, no. No, there isn't. The only way around that is if there's a video ref at every game and you you, re -ref, you you referee every game from the video booth. Um, so no, we have to accept that referees are human beings. We have to accept that referees, without prejudice, without being biased, will make mistakes. And if that means that the match review panel, because of what their process is, that player gets a ban the following week, then so be it. You know, the referee doesn't want to miss a high tackle, doesn't want to miss a late challenge. But unfortunately... Unfortunately, we do. And you've got to accept that there are two separate things. Let the referee ref and, and give them clear guidance of what it is. If that if it's that, is it reckless? Is it careless? Is it deliberate? What do you expect the referee to do? Give them clear guidance of what each challenge should be. And if he misses it, then that's for the referee and the reviewer to say, hang on a minute, look how late that challenge is. Why have you missed that? What's your touch judges doing? Where's your view? That's totally different to the retrospective match review panel banning it. So that's where they are separate. And they should be, in my opinion. Uh, the referee will make mistakes and we've got to accept that players make mistakes. You know, we accept that. So, you know. So there's no real solution to that problem other than having a video ref, ref who is refing in real time, which will slow the game down because they may have to watch it four or five times, be accurate with that judgment. And we want to wait around that long, waiting for that judgment? No, it, it takes, the, it takes the, um, the heartbeat out of the game, doesn't it? If you stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, you lose that momentum. Players probably lose a bit of, of focus as well. Um, and it's midnight before you finish the game. Yeah. You know, you're looking at four hours yeah. because everything's, you know, oh, just wait, like... Uh, no, it wasn't late. Oh, great. Thanks. You know, yeah, yeah. no, we, we can't do that. Yeah. And then staying up with the match review panel as well. I know we had a bit of an earlier conversation, but you, you hit on a great topic about, we was asked about inconsistencies within the match review panel. And uh, one tackle might get a two match ban. One might tackle be issued with a four match ban. And you gave a great insight into, yes, there are some inconsistencies that you thought, Ian, but... You know, your your viewpoint behind why there was inconsistencies there? Uh, I don't think it's so much inconsistency. I think I think people don't understand the process and and the mitigating factors regarding injuries. Um, you know, they say, well, a punch is between grade A and grade C. Why is it so big? 
Well, because was it sustained? Was there a lot of it? And what what was the mitigating factors of force? You know, like we spoke before, if, if you punch me and I just get a little glance and a little graze, or there's nothing, that'll be treated differently than in you punch me and I break my eye socket, my jaw and my cheekbone. Because the mitigating factor is the extent of the injury. The extent of the injury will determine force. So, so that's why there's such a big disparity in the grading. Oh, he got he got a grade A for a punch. Oh, he got a grade A, grade C for a punch. That's inconsistent. Well, actually, no. Look how hard he punched him. Look at the injury that he caused by that punch. Look at the force. Look at the ferocity. Look at the sustained. So there's different. So just to say it was a punch and it was a punch and one was a grade A and one was a grade C is bizarre yeah. because it's not, no two punches are the same. No two high tackles are the same. So there has to be a disparity in the grading. And, and to be fair to the match review panel, they are very good at that. I think sometimes we, they either went in a bit too strong or fans with respect don't understand the full process of why each thing is different, yeah. careless, reckless or deliberate. Does it answer that? It does, but you you also mentioned about the cameras. Oh, the yeah. Game, uh, yeah. A, a, a live televised Super League game as opposed to one that isn't televised. Yeah, if, if you've got if you got six games on, on a weekend and two are on telly, uh, on, on Sky, you've got nine cameras. You've got two in the middle, you've got four in the corners, two high behinds and a roving one. On a non-televised game, you've got two in the middle. It's a close-in one and it's a wide one. So you haven't got the four corners, you haven't got the high behinds. So so if I'm if I'm on Sky as a player uh, and I punch somebody in that far corner of the pitch, uh, that, that corner and the high behind will actually see that. So the match review panel have got more chance of knowing where the contact was, what the ferocity was. Uh, did it... Did it make direct contact? Uh, if it's a non-Sky game and you just got them two t- in the middle uh, over the halfway line and I punch somebody in that bottom corner, the chances of, if it's on the blind side, the chances of of this these cameras picking it up. And bearing in mind, they don't go off the, the referee or the touch judges thing. They'll just say no further action because it's inconclusive. It, it is inconsistent, but that's not match review panel's fault. That's just because, unlike the NRL, that may have 10 or 11 cameras at every game, we only have two or three games a weekend where there are nine cameras. The rest of the time, there's just the two over the halfway line. Yeah. So, But again, that's not match review panel's fault. That's just cost and... Uh, show you know, business. Absolutely, yeah, show business, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so some very good points there, Ian and Keith, and, and it leads me on to the next point we have here, really, that the perception of referees and the perception of MRP panel at the moment is quite poor in, in many cases. They, they believe it's inconsistent. They believe there's harshly treat some clubs more than other clubs. There's a feeling that the top clubs are treated more fairly than the other clubs, so those three who've won the Super League in the last... 17 years, is it? <laughs> yeah. Leeds, St. Helens and Wigan are treated more fairly by that. Now, I don't believe that is the case, actually, but that is the perception. So why would people think that when we believe it isn't actually the way it works? Oh, I think everybody loves an agenda, don't they? Everybody likes to think that team's been uh, wronged. And, and if a decision goes towards a 
perceived big club. It's because they're a big club. What they don't realise is the decisions that have gone against their club. They only focus on the ones that have gone for the club. And that's what fans do. They're, they're, they're all blinkered. And that's great, by the way, because that's what you do, because you're a passionate fan and you want to, you want your team to get everything. Um, but I don't believe, and I'd like to think that it doesn't happen where the big clubs get everything. The match review panels certainly see it absolutely black and white, regardless of what club. And I know the referees do. The referees don't go out there consciously to give a, a big club all the decisions because it's just not in, one, it's not in our nature, but two, if I keep giving all the big clubs the decisions then and they, they turn out to be wrong, then I won't have a game the following week in Super League. You know, that's that was that was my bit. I'm, I couldn't care less whether Wigan win, whether St. Helens win, whether London, whether Catalan, whatever it is, because I wanted Ian Smith to be on Super League the following week. So I give the best decisions in that game to suit me, not to suit the clubs, because I couldn't care less who won the league. I could not give a monkeys who won that league. And I know the rest now. I, I speak to them and, and some of them are really close friends and they're not bothered who wins the league. They want to do the best for them because they want a grand final, they want a semi-final, they want a, a playoff game, they want a Challenge Cup final. And if it means that they give the best decisions that they possibly can be, regardless of what club it is, then so be it. I would hope, and you're right, you touched on a good point there, we want the fans to cheer on their teams and be very passionate. That, that's what they fans bring to these matches. And, and when you get a full crowd in with two teams going at it and each team thinking they're the ones being hard done to, it, it creates a great atmosphere so I don't blame fans for you know having that perception that they feel as though they're hard done to I think in many ways that's quite natural in all sports everyone feels as though it, their teams are quite harsh but I'd like to think in the cold light today when they go away and, and maybe they watch it again and they, they settle down a bit when the emotions have subsided that they can look at it a bit more rationally and they're a bit more reasonable you obviously answered my Twitter feed then, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a wishing for too much there. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. T to be fair, I get a lot of questions on social media about referees' decisions because, you know, the referees aren't allowed to answer them. So I, I, uh, and, and they're great. The vast, vast majority are absolutely wonderful and, and, and genuinely want to be educated because yeah. there is a myriad of decisions that they just genu genuinely don't know the answer to. Uh, and and it, it's great to try and inform and educate and hopefully, you know, uh, that's for the better. But I have no problem with people asking me questions in, in any guys and, and I'll give an honest answer. And I always say, look, feel free to disagree. You know, I'll respect your opinion. Just respect the, the right that I have. My, my opinion might be different, but I never come across and say, look, I referee 400 games and I video ref 400 games because it's not about the I am. The, the difference is that I... I do know the laws of the game. I know the policies. I know the procedures because that was my job and it's still in me to want to know why referees are giving what they're giving. Yeah. And some what fans just see the big picture, not the little idiosyncrasies and the, the fine detail that's the difference in why it's a penalty and why it's not. So let's educate, let's inform and let's enthuse everybody to, to know the laws of the game. I totally agree. And hopefully the, this show will help a little bit. Uh, I suspect uh, some will... Um, accept your, your view and some may, may have further questions and that's fine you can leave it in the comments and we'll make sure we try and answer all of those I've just got three more points that I wanted to put to Ian from many of the questions that have come up so a lot of them I've kind of grouped into different areas 
One that keeps coming up at the moment, time and time again, is around players faking injury. Is there any way of stopping that? How do we know they're faking it or whether it's real? Is there a way of knowing? Uh, no. The honest answer is, I don't think there is. I think it, it's about the integrity of the player. If if winning to that cost or getting that decision means that much to their integrity, that they're willing to pretend that they're injured, then eventually they'll get found out. They're the ones that have to look in the mirror at the end of the day, knowing that they pretended that they're injured when they're not. And I don't like that. Look, that's not the rugby league that I want to watch. That's not the rugby league that I, I love. Uh, and if, if that's... If that's what they're trying to do, then I don't like it. One thing I, I don't think fans always realise is that players might come in with having had a shoulder up or having had a knee up and somebody can come and they can literally whack the shoulder and it has no effect. But then another person who maybe has had two or three shoulder ops, it might not take as much. So who's to say that they're faking it? Yes. You know, when you've got an 100 kilogram bloke absolutely ripping into you, who's to say that you're faking it? You know, I took up refereeing because as an amateur player, I wasn't good enough and I didn't want an 80, 200 kilogram bloke knocking me over. So I thought, you know, the safest thing to do here is to take up the whistle. So who is it? Us at 60, 70 kilograms sat on a set here at home saying that, that he's faking an injury. But yeah, only the player knows. It's very difficult to know if someone's faking it. I think uh, I had a discussion on social media about uh, where's the line with all this with cheating you know for years people have kicked the ball over the top and then pretended when someone's just caught them they've gone down they've they've exaggerated it so i'm not sure where the line is but it does seem to be accepted more if someone is fouled but exaggerates it a little bit to try and bring it to the referee's attention and to try and gain an advantage but if someone artificially creates something they're not injured at all but pretends to be then that seems to have crossed that line and people don't like it. And it's not a good look for rugby league. I don't think, I, I can't think of a way referees or the game can stop it other than keep calling them out and questioning it. And uh, yeah, I, I think we, we accept a little bit of exaggeration, but not artificial. That, that's for the match review panel to sort out. It's not for the referee on the game. None of us and none of the referees, I can assure you, are medically trained to realise when somebody's faking injury or not. So that is for the match review panel to find out and, and, and challenge that player to say, how come, why on that tackle did you do that? Why did you hold your shoulder? Well, I've had three shoulder ops. It didn't take much to hurt my shoulder. Okay. You know, and maybe they might lie, but but we have to try to get the full picture and that is absolutely not a referee's fault. But you talk about cheating and, and maybe faking injuries. What about when a player steals a ball in a two-on-one tackle and then pretends that it were dropped and the referee gives a knock-on and then you see on the big screen that he stole it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Is, is, is that is that the same is that the same thing? You know, or they feel a hand on the ball, so they just let go of it. Oh, he stole it. Yeah. You know, so there's there's always different variants the of, 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 of yeah. cheating. There's some cheating that seems to be accepted and some that isn't. <laughs> can't describe which Ex- or why or how. Acceptable, so acceptable cheating, Dave. Right, no, I'm going to write that one down. Rule. We should write that down. <laughs> acceptable cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is a bit odd. And then following on from that, what you get is, uh, it's happened a couple of times this year where a player's trying to pick another player up when they've been injured and often the argument is well they've been banned for picking someone who fakes an injury up 
So the counter-argument is very often that, well, that player isn't, isn't medically, medically trained, trained and, and, and they don't know whether they're faking or not, so best to leave them alone. And, and there have been inconsistent um, bans on those. Yeah. You know, there's a Halifax you... player got eight games, which seems very harsh. Luke Gale did when he tried to pick Lomax yeah, up. Yeah. And my, my, my view on that one Will Price, Will Price got a good yeah. few matches for Will that, Will didn't Price he? as well, yeah. And like that one there, like, like the likes of Luke Gale, he did make contact with Lomax. Lomax did go to the ground. And at that point, he's face down. You don't know if he is injured. I don't think Lomax is the kind of player to feign an injury. But he was so caught. trying to pick him up. He was caught, Lomax. He was definitely caught. But that was that acceptable exaggeration? Yeah, but that's not for Luke Gale to determine that, is no. it? Yeah. That, that's, that's not him. And, and the message keeps going out to the players. Do not try to pick up an injured player because you don't know what extent. Even if you think he's faking it because you've not touched him, that's not your job. Your job is to let the medical staff, the physio and the doctors to get on and treat that player appropriately. And if he gets up and runs off, then so be it. Uh, maybe wait till he gets the ball next time and drop your shoulder into him and show him what a proper tackle is. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm not quite sure whether... That length of ban serves a purpose. It should be about education, education, education. This is not somebody leading with an elbow or waiting for him and coming in with a swinging arm. This is somebody who at that moment in time has thought, you, you've cheated me, I'm going to lift you up, or you're not injured, come on, educate him. Ten matches, what good will eight or ten matches sit on the sideline for something like that? That's fix the problem. It, it's happened, hasn't it? They've done mm. it wrongly, heat of the moment. Mm. It's uh, a poor decision, but harshly treated. So, yeah, yeah. I have some sympathy with them. And I do. The more, I, I do whether, wonder whether in some cases we have a bit of a point system. So rather than ban them straight away for something like that, they're given, like in cricket, they have demerit points, or, or in football they get yellows, which are bookings, and in tournaments they can add up to being a ban if mm. they get so many. So I do wonder in, in cases like that, not with... Uh, obvious high tackles or dangerous play but in cases like that they may get 10 demerit points and if they if they get 30 demerit points in any one month that 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 is a one game ban or something yeah. it's yeah. out errors I think as well for the match review panel or, or for referees or, or because if you've made a single error you're unlikely to repeat that error three times in the month so it wouldn't lead to a ban mm. so I, I think uh we, we should propose that with our other great ideas that promoted teams get 14 players and if you're behind more than 20 points in the game, all kicks are worth three points. Mm. We're right. going to put them to IMG. I think we're pretty certain they'll be... Yeah, I think, I think, yeah. I think we're on to a winner there, Dev. <laughs> Definitely. No, but I think the ban is disproportionate for the offence. I know they're saying the risk of injury. Now, them, them players didn't end up getting injured. So again, the mitigating circumstances, yes, I shouldn't have picked him up. However, I have not made him injury. He's saying, well, you could have done. Yes, but I didn't. So educate me. You know, make sure that uh, rather than go eight matches. Yeah, but I, I lifted him up, but there was nothing wrong. And I get where the RFL are coming from, by the way, but I just think it's it's disproportionate when you think some of the, the foul play that they're trying to, trying to sort out. There's a better way of dealing with that type think, of incident. Yeah, and eight matches for a part-time player is really harsh and, and has an impact on their income, which is often linked to uh, performance. Pay. So, yeah. yeah, so that's harsh. Well, the final one I've got written down, which I've left till last in case it rumbles on for an hour, 
is the chicken wing tackle and, and in in reference particularly to uh, what that happened yeah with Morgan Knowles <sighs> I will try to to replicate this earlier where Keith tries to put my arm up my back but he's He's that much shorter than me. You couldn't get it above my waist anyway. No. He was on his tiptoes, so it didn't work, did it? No, it didn't. You should have tried it with Buddy the dog. <laughs> More chance with that one. Yeah, yeah. so he's jumping up and down. But, um, you know, it went through... The, the play was banned for two games. It went to a review, went to a second review. And I don't want to get into that process because it's been documented and discussed so much. I think everyone who's interested in it has read about it. But I just want to talk really about the the act itself of grabbing the wrist and putting it behind the back of a player. So the way I read that is that Morgan Knowles, as all players are, trying to slow the player of the ball, they often pin uh, uh, an arm to the floor or to the body because it'll get you an extra couple of seconds because the player can't put the hand down to stand up to play the ball. So it's he also he, he was also in the act of turn the player as well. Yeah, turn so they've got to spin back round and then play the ball. Yeah. And I think he, he he was trying to guide him that way. I think with Siren on the other end kind of had him in almost the, like James a headlock. Robbie, yeah. James Robbie, the grip the upper body. Yeah, yeah. and then is, uh, he was walking back towards his try line, Knowles, and, and taking uh, Aiken's arm with him. So, yeah. and there's much debate over that. But my take on it is that even though we may or may not have. Um, put him in a dangerous position. I think it, it's heading towards a dangerous position, and it's not a type of tackle I like to see in rugby league. You know, it's not a rugby league tackle for me. So I know why the player did it. It might be a technique they got slightly wrong, and therefore uh, close to being dangerous. But what, what's your take on the actual act itself, Ian? Um, I agree that there's no place for that type of tackle in rugby league. Um, I'd like to think that when they went into contact, is thought process was do you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab a lever here and I'm going to pin his arm up his back you're right well, he's, he's trying to slow the play of the ball that, that's absolutely what it is but that's not a professional foul that is just trying to win contact win collision to slow the play of the ball so your defensive team can get set on the line and, and come forward and I agree with Keith I think he got the arm to use it as a lever to try to spin him round so he was facing the wrong way then as it starts to come up his back I think he got to a point where you could almost see the panic in his face thinking I've got this wrong here. And then Atkin, uh, Atkin managed to, to get out of it uh, by throwing himself around. And and it, it just looked ugly. It's not a rubbly tackle, but players do grab levers, do grab arms, do try to pin arms in because they don't want to get them free. And because of, of, of how flipped and, and all that lot arms can be, they want to grab hold of them to try to slow them down. It deserved a ban for me. Uh, I think it was reckless. I don't think it was deliberate. And I think it deserved a ban. The process after that became a bit of a farce, to be honest. But I think... It was a short trial in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, I just think it, it, it deserved a ban because that's not what we want to encourage within rugby league players. Uh, we want them to drop the shoulder and we want them to hit them hard. Uh, but unfortunately, the ball carrier, sometimes they go and they try and drop. So when they try and hit and drop, the players try and catch and hold and then they try to try to turn them. And when they're turning them, sometimes they do use that lever to turn them. And it was just that perfect storm, if you like, where everything went wrong. He got his arm, he tries to turn him, he tries to pull it, realises, oh my God. And all of a sudden, it just looked so ugly. And and I, I know it would have been a grand final, but I think morally, Centellians should have accepted a ban uh, because that's not what we're there to encourage. 
but Centellians have a duty to their own players and their team and their fans to win a grand final. And I just think that whole thing was an ugly look for rugby league and uh, and not a, not great going forward. But it creates talking points. You know, yeah, everybody and, and, did speak and, about it. It was oh, in the news, and probably yeah. people that don't have that much of an opinion on it had an opinion yeah. about that situation. But also, like you say, Ian, has it set a precedent for? Uh, uh, no, I, I don't think so because I don't think we'll ever see that type of tackle where it's so obvious that, that there's something not quite right with the way he's turning his arm. I think the the process after and the bit of a farce regarding the two appeals. I just think that I don't think that'll happen again because that was the judge making some comments that that actually played into Centelling's hands and 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 the whole rigmarole around that. And I think going forward, the judge and the side panel members would maybe would be more careful on their wording. Yeah. So I think that's a separate sideshow that I've never seen before in all my years in rugby league. So I don't we think we'll probably I don't think we'll probably see it again. But you know, they're allowed an appeal. And if they're appealing to it right or or there's some problem in that, then they're allowed to appeal the appeal. Yeah. Uh, and you like you you are in law, you know, so it is a judicial system yeah. that the I RFL are brought in. People saying that outcome saying it's got one so quick, but it is in the constitution that as long as you get an appeal in and lodge it before, I think I think it was 11 a.m., yeah. and they'd had it done by 8 o'clock just to make sure that there was enough time that it was seen and read and it wasn't like on the 11th hour and, and everything. Everything was done. Say, say it's procedurally. I don't think they did anything wrong. No. Whether morally they did something wrong because of that type of tackle, that, that's a debate for, a, for a, a, another show. Yeah. But uh, it, it, it just wasn't a good look. And uh, and I think it deserved punishment. And I think the whole game, even if it have only missed one game with it being the grand final, I think it, the, the game felt that it was uh, a, a bannable offence. But Saints, fair play to them, they, they went down the procedural route and the procedure was was inconsistent with, with the findings and the judge's words and one thing and another. So they found a loophole, that's the right terminology, yeah. to get his ban overturned. So fair play to them legally. But maybe yeah, not morally. You're right. They didn't break any rules, but they did spot a potential uh, error in the wording and use that to their advantage at the second appeal, which just feels a bit wrong, doesn't it? They haven't actually done anything wrong, but it just doesn't feel right. And the whole procedure, the whole process, the tackle itself, it all just doesn't look great for rugby league. Whichever side of that argument you're on, that I agree. I don't think Morgan Oles is a, a dirty player. I don't think his intent was to. Uh, injure the player at all. I don't think I've met anyone who's no, intentionally to. wanted to injure a fellow professional. So I, I don't think that is accurate at all. I do think you're right. I think yeah. he tried to spin them round, put him in an awkward position, and he's got it. He's got it all wrong. Yeah, uh, and. And and you also we don't know what's gone on a couple of tackles before whether there's been a bit of a niggle and it's a bit of like I'll throw you back and throw you around. not like I say not lift his arm and put him in that position but while he's got him it's like oh yeah you got one on me before you know kind of oh, thing. The, yeah but you've on. you've testosterone you've adrenaline you've got a big game at stake and and sometimes your cognitive thought process is, is not always there. and. And when you look at these things in slow motion, it's so different. You, you play it at full speed and it goes into collision, contact, Jane Robbins uh, gets the arm, tries to spin him around, all of a sudden, oh my God, and it goes like, ah, it happens very quick. 
Mm. It's not done at slow motion. So I, I think it was reckless. I don't think it was deliberate with intent to hurt, but at pace, at time, with the adrenaline, and it's close to the line, close to my try line here, so I can't afford to let him go. So I'm going to grab any lever. I'm going to do anything to stop him playing that ball, to stop somebody scooting and scoring a try. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, I've got that wrong. But by getting it wrong in the heat of battle doesn't mean to say that he doesn't deserve a ban. And that tackle in its individual right deserved punishment as a, as a minimum of a match ban. And I think then the subsequent Ferrara and Facade is, is what, uh, whatever is, is just I, I, morally wrong. I, I agree, Ian. I think if we did consider in future something like a demerit point system where, where um Mobbit, You're selling this demerit point, aren't you, The pie demerit system, the rugby league pie demerit system, um, you know, they could... Morgan Knowles then could have got points. Pie D squared. Pie D squared, yeah. Pie squared go. system. Um, you know, it, it, I'd say it evens it out, I think, where you may not be punished that, that game following... And you'll know going into the match how many points you've got. If you've got a player on 30 points and the cut-off is 40, you might be thinking, I'm not going to risk this player, I want them for the final. You know, it happens in football tournaments where they get to a certain level and the points are scrapped and they start again, don't they? Is it the quarterfinals in the World Cup? They, yeah. You know, whatever points you've got in those rounds, everyone's clear all, all for and starts again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'll take every opportunity to keep selling that, but... I, it's it's really interesting listening to your view and your perception of it, and I think it is similar to to ours and and, and that many people who've posted and considered it on social media and in forums as well. Yeah, well, the debate will rage on, and like you say, well, I'm sure we'll be back with with other shows on it. Uh, on behalf of myself and Dave. Uh, Ian, thank you very much. It's great to listen to you. It's great to listen to your side of it because obviously, like you say, you know that law book inside out and back to front, having been a former Super League referee. So so thanks very much and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Don't thanks forget to leave your comments in the comment section. If you've got a, a comment that you want to leave for Ian, whether it's through the audio podcast, through, through Podbean, either way you can leave a comment. We'll feed it back to Ian or Ian may just directly get involved and comment on there so thanks again everyone don't forget to click like and subscribe and leave your comments and you've been watching the Dockhouse Rugby Show Dave and Keith talk all things rugby league on the Dockhouse Rugby Pod